Today on The Faction, we're going back in time to look at one of the events that was a defining moment for the NWA and WCW. Today, we're talking Clash of the Champions. What's going on, family? Happy Friday. Welcome to The Faction. I am your man, GB, Gerard Bonner, and I am excited that we get to hang out today on another episode of The Faction. It is really fun to get to talk about the world of pro wrestling with you guys. You guys are amazing. Thank you for your continued support of what we are doing. Thank you for those who have been kind enough to send feedback, to comment on our posts, all of those kinds of things. And for those of you who have not done that, but you're still listening and following along, we appreciate you as well. I want to invite you all to check out what we're doing on the socials at The Faction Show. You'll find some pretty awesome things there. You can also subscribe to our podcast anywhere where you are listening to us right now. And feel free to leave us comments, send us direct messages, send us voice notes, like do the things to stay in contact with us because we're going to keep pushing out some great content. Now, I'm really enjoying the opportunities that we get, of course, to talk about what's current, and there's a lot of that out there. But so many of you have requested that we talk about some of the previous things that have happened in the world of pro wrestling. And as time progresses, there's the realization that, you know what, some of these things that were may not ever be revisited. And it's kind of good to be able to talk about some of that history because it is foundational to what you're seeing. For instance, here's a crazy thought. It's sobering for a lot of people, so just prepare yourself. The idea that 1993 was 30 years ago. Okay, I know, that that sounded really rough, and, and I'm not trying to choose violence. What I am saying is the realization is that it is highly possible that some of you who are listening to me right now were not even born in 1993. Therefore, you would not have a frame of reference for if we refer to WCW, or if you hear people say that WCW is a reference point for AEW, you really wouldn't know what that means. ECW to you may be an urban legend or something to that effect. So what I like to do now, and I've thankfully had enough experience in some other spaces to realize we've got a lot of listeners in this space who are probably 30 and under. So it's good to kind of go back in time to talk about some of the things that happened before we had a WWE as a billion dollar conglomerate, before we had AEW, before we had streaming platforms and the like. So it's fun. Every now and again, we'll do that. And today is one of those days. We're going to revisit an event that made it through a couple of iterations in pro wrestling. It made its way through the NWA. It made its way through WCW. But when WWE purchased WCW, this is one of the entities that did not find itself in WWE programming. Here's another crazy thought that it has been 22 years 
since the WWE purchased WCW and of several of the ideas and concepts that WCW had that WWE has now implemented. We've seen Starcade, we've seen War Games, but we haven't seen this. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it because it'll just bring it to your mind. It'll even be something that you can research on your own if you'd like to do that on the WWE Network on Peacock. And I am referencing an event called Clash of the Champions. Now, if I make a reference to AEW, you might liken it to what AEW is currently doing with Battle for the Belts. The Battle for the Belts or Battle of the Belts that you see from AEW happens quarterly, it's supposed to feature some pretty significant matches. Well, Clash of the Champions was that, but on a much different scale. Okay, so let's give you the lay of the land as to how we got to Clash of the Champions. And this history is really interesting to note because it helps you perhaps even more understand why some fans believe in a war between AEW and WWE. So we have to go all the way back to the 80s, okay? 1984, Vince McMahon is now owning what is now known as the WWE. And in owning the WWE, which was once a territory, he really wanted to take this territory, which was once regional, into a national space. One of the ways to do that is to take advantage of cable TV. WWE's cable TV outlet was USA. And on the USA Network, they really had only two shows, both of which were syndicated and both of which were somewhat recaps of the weekly shows with some new matches that we would see from house shows, which would be matches held in varying towns and arenas that weren't necessarily designed to be on television. What was different, though, is that the NWA had a bit of a household space on WTBS, the Superstation. That's where they would have a two-hour show called World Championship Wrestling. That show would air on Saturday nights in that ever-famous time slot, 6.05 p.m. Eastern. For two hours, World Championship Wrestling would highlight the big stars of the NWA, specifically of Jim Crockett Promotions. Now, Saturday at that time was Destination for Pro Wrestling. On the WWE side, they had a lot of syndicated pro wrestling, which would happen in the mornings during the day while the NWA would air in the evenings on a Saturday. WWE had a show called Tuesday Night Titans. They also had a show called Monday Night Wrestling, I believe was the name of it. And on those Monday nights, that would be a two-hour segment on USA. Again, usually showing some of the best matches from across the week and that had happened at previous house shows across the country. We have to credit the NWA for having the first big super show when it came to these organizations that was on pay-per-view. And that super show was Starcade, Starcade 1983. First time we would see something of this magnitude that could end up in people's homes. Pay-per-view was a new concept in 1983 as well. So then the WWE would end up having their massive event called WrestleMania in 1985. The success of WrestleMania caused the WWE to really begin to skyrocket, balloon, and grow into the national powerhouse that they desired to do. Wrestling was going through a great boom as well, and Jim Crockett Promotions really became the leading space in the NWA. 
And so now there was a real competition happening between the NWA and the WWE. Remember, this is 1985. There's at this point only one major event in a year defining each of these promotions. In the NWA, it's Starcade, which happens Thanksgiving night. In the WWE, it is WrestleMania, which at this point is happening sometime in March or April. Okay, so we fast forward to 1987 when the success of now three WrestleManias has given the WWE the idea to expand what they want to do on pay-per-view. What does the WWE decide to do? The WWE decides we're going to create our next pay-per-view event and call it the Survivor Series. We're going to call it the Thanksgiving Night Tradition. So that meant that the very first Survivor Series would happen in 1987 on pay-per-view on Thanksgiving night. Well, if you remember, there's another organization who's doing a pay-per-view on Thanksgiving night. Yeah, that's the NWA with Starcade. Well, believe it or not, this was actually a major issue that transcended pro wrestling. This wasn't just competition, but at that time, remember, the cable companies were still new to what we call pay-per-view. So then cable companies really could only offer one live pay-per-view event at a time. And then these cable companies were presented with an edict from the WWE that said that any cable company that chose to carry Starcade would be barred from carrying any future WWE events. So cable companies chose Survivor Series over Starcade 10 to 1. So this is pretty wild. Now, with that being said, things got very interesting. We get to 1988. And in 1988, there were some ideas from the WWE to potentially do yet another pay-per-view that would be called the Royal Rumble. However, Vince McMahon was warned by the pay-per-view industry not to schedule live pay-per-view events head-to-head with the NWA again, simply because cable companies could not actually support two live event at the same time. However, Vince McMahon at that time wasn't exactly interested in playing nice or being wildly cooperative. So here's what happened. January the 24th, 1988, Jim Crockett Promotions goes to pay-per-view with the Bunkhouse Stampede. So the WWE decides we will offer our event for free on television. So the very first Royal Rumble airs on January the 24th, 1988, not as a pay-per-view, but as a free event on USA to counteract the bunkhouse stampede on pay-per-view. It's important to know that because then that will help you understand how we get to Clash of the Champions, which would happen two months later. So here it is, March the 27th, 1988. WrestleMania 4 is scheduled to happen and WrestleMania 4 would be pretty special because WrestleMania 4 is going to be the first and only time that the WWE hosts a full tournament to be its WrestleMania card. And this full tournament would determine the now vacant WWE championship. The title was vacated when Hulk Hogan was defeated. In February of 1988 by Andre the Giant on NBC, by the way, live. 
And after Andre the Giant won that match as a rematch for WrestleMania 3, he surrendered the belt to Ted DiBiase, creating absolute chaos for the WWE Championship. So you have an entire tournament being planned for WrestleMania to air live on pay-per-view, March the 27th, 1988. And given what has happened with Survivor Series versus Starcade, given what has happened now with Bunkhouse Stampede versus the Royal Rumble, surely you had to imagine that the NWA would have a comeback for WrestleMania 4. And they did. The comeback for the NWA against WrestleMania 4 was the creation of Clash of the Champions. Now, what happened was this. WrestleMania 4 would air live on pay-per-view, while Clash of the Champions would air live on TBS. All happening at the same time. Very, very interesting. Even more interesting was that this Clash of the Champions was pay-per-view caliber. Let me just run through some of the matches that happened on this Clash and what you may remember this night for. I'll Well, yeah, let's just run through the matches. You're likely going to remember the last two matches as the most significant moments. So you had Mike Rotundo, who was managed by Kevin Sullivan. He defeated Jimmy Garvin. Mike Rotunda, in case you did not know, is the guy who is a former WWE Tag Team Champion, was part of the very first WrestleMania, also ended up being known in the 90s as Erwin R. Scheister, and happens to be the father of one Bray Wyatt and one Bo Dallas. Then the Midnight Express, Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane, defeated the Fantastics. That was a feud that really went throughout a lot of the NWA. The Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal, teamed with Dusty Rhodes to defeat the Powers of Pain, which is the Barbarian and the Warlord, and Ivan Koloff. Now, these last two matches are the matches that people remember Clash of the Champions won the most for. That's because Lex Luger and Barry Windham would defeat Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard to win the NWA World Tag Team Championships. Big, big deal because Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, part of the four horsemen who seemingly could not be beaten, would take on Luger and Wyndham. Luger and Wyndham, very, very popular team, went on to become tag team champions. This night was also headlined by Ric Flair versus Sting for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. It went to a 45-minute time limit draw. Many have credited this match as the proverbial coming out party for Sting. It was his first shot at the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. It was the night that people really began to believe that Sting could become a world champion because he lasted 45 minutes with the nature boy, Ric Flair. This incredible card, which happened at the Greensboro Coliseum, which was the birthplace, by the way, of Starcade set things in motion for Clash of the Champions to really be a signature event for the NWA. Now, what it also did, it would happen somewhat quarterly or every few months. It would really serve as almost like a pay-per-view in terms of its quality, and it would ultimately start to bridge the gap between pay-per-views for the NWA and for WCW. These cards, again, would take place several times during a year. For instance, 
There were four of them in 1988, one in March, June, September, and December. We'd end up seeing five of them in 1989, four in 1990, four in 1991, for 1992, yeah, you kind of get the idea there. And there would be some really important matches happening at these Clash of the Champions events. They were really, really something very, very special. The challenge to the Clash of the Champions, though, was that as the WWE pay-per-view schedule began to grow, it was very clear that pay-per-views became strong revenue-generating moments for pro wrestling. The NWA would look to follow suit over time, and once World Championship Wrestling seceded from the NWA, one of the things that WCW realized was we're giving too much away for free on these Clash of the Champions, and we could be making money on them on pay-per-views. And so that is where we saw Clash of the Champions really come to an end in 1997, but there were some really amazing matches and moments that happened here. For instance, one of the really popular moments was in November of 1989. It was Clash of the Champions 9, New York Knockout, where it was headlined by an I Quit match between the Nature Boy Ric Flair and Terry Funk. Ric Flair was a big part of these Clash of the Champion events. Think about June of 1990 when Clash of the Champions saw Ric Flair defend the World Heavyweight Championship against the Junkyard Dog, one of the very few world title matches that the Junkyard Dog received. In 1993, Vader would defend the NWA World Heavyweight Championship multiple times during Clash of the Champions, once against Davey Boy Smith, and then another time against the Nature Boy Ric Flair. We even saw a unification match between the WCW International Championship and the WCW World Championship in 1994 as Ric Flair took on Sting, another very popular match that would happen to define the Clash of the Champions era. Now, on August 21st, 1997 was the final Clash of the Champions. It happened in Nashville, Tennessee, as Scott Hall and Randy Savage battled Diamond Dallas Page and Lex Luger for the WCW World Tag Team titles as the main event of Clash of the Champions 35. Now, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the specific Clash of the Champions moment that you didn't know was a Clash of the Champions moment that happened on this day in history. This is Caprice Coleman, and you're listening to The Faction on Bonafide Radio. That's right, the mount, the style, the grace, the shape, and the face. Support Bonafide Radio, The Faction. Keep it on, baby. I've known Dylan since he was 15. I've known what a crazy fanatic he's been. He never just went and played. So what are you doing? Well, you know, I gotta plan the show first. He wants to be the guy shaping. Dylan used to run shows back in his hometown, and ever since he moved to Atlanta, I know that he's been really wanting to start his own company here. I had that fear of not being what's interesting in Atlanta. I said, I'm gonna start my own wrestling promotion. You need to get in a room with this guy. Because at the end of the day, wrestling had grown stale in Georgia. I'm like, dude, this guy's ruffling everybody's feathers. Dylan learned that I'm impatient, and I announced that we were gonna start a promotion 90 days later. And I knew that I had no content. But then I started to see 
all the things that he was doing. It was starting to look really professional. Gary had stirred up so much shit. We were gonna be the laughing stock of the entire city if we didn't deliver. Perceptions, reality. How do we get on Southern an Honor? What was the process of them walking over there like, I'm gonna do that? I thought, honestly, he was dead. You hear his brain swelling. I literally thought Southern Honor was probably done. You always told me if you don't like an idea, come up with a better idea. You're telling me you won't listen to the idea? And we're gonna pack 1,000 people! I couldn't wait for an answer from Chris. We weren't sure. No confirmation. Casey is taking How about that? Oh. The lights are going out here. The first indie show I've ever done in 23 years was with Southern Honor, and now everyone's talking about this company. Nothing bigger than that's ever gonna happen here for a few minutes later. It was extremely hard to maintain relationships because I was working with Gary. I don't know that they would go to war for me. They would go to war for Dylan. Finally, this year's going to be mine, COVID. I can honestly say my last match will be here just because Southern Honor is that special to me. So many things that have happened in my life that you could write on paper and it would read as a book. And Southern Honor is just another chapter. As long as there's a them and there's a you, there will always be a S-H-W. Are you ready? Yes! Hey guys, before we hop back into the podcast, I want to let you know that you have the opportunity to wear the merch of hopefully your favorite commentator. That's right. I have merch available representing us here at The Faction and representing my journey. Lego. You've likely heard about my journey into pro wrestling. And if you haven't, I can sum it up in a couple of words. Uh -oh. It took me five seconds of courage to bet on me. Yeah. So we've got great merch out there allowing you to tell the world about five seconds of courage and betting on you. Aha. You can check out that merch right now at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Bonnerfied. Again, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Bonnerfied. Check out this new merch representing yours truly in the world of pro wrestling. Bet on you. Five seconds of courage. ProWrestlingTees.com slash Bonnerfied. I know you're going to dig this. This is a total package, Lex Luger, and you are turned into the faction. So the date was August the 18th, 1993. Scary moment because that was 30 years ago today. Pretty crazy moment when you think about it, but it was a moment that was significant. WCW presented their Clash of the Champions. It happened in Daytona Beach, Florida. And let's talk about some of the matches that happened and then talk about the moment that is one of the most infamous moments in pro wrestling history. The match began with Arn Anderson and Paul Roma defeating Steve Austin and Lord Steven Regal to become the new WCW World Tag Team Champions. Two Cold Scorpio defeated Bobby Eaton. Johnny B. Bad defeated Max Payne. And in case you didn't know, Johnny B. Bad would be later known as Mark Merrow, whose wife was Sable. Sable became one of the biggest stars in all of WWE, ultimately divorcing Johnny B. Bad and then marrying one beast, Brock Lesnar. Funny how all that's intertwined. Back to 1993 in Clash of the Champions 24, where Ricky the Dragon Steamboat would defeat Paul Orndorff to become the WCW World Television Champion. 
Now, we've talked so much about Sting and Ric Flair being opponents at Clash of the Champions, but at Clash of the Champions 24, they were a tag team, defeating the team of Awesome Kong and King Kong, the Colossal Kongs, in a tag team match. Road Warrior Hawk and Dustin Rhodes defeated the Equalizer and Rick Rude, and in the main event, Big Van Vader with Harley Race defeated Davey Boy Smith to retain the WCW World Heavyweight Champion. While you may not remember any of those matches, what you likely remember is an incident that happened on a talk show during Clash of the Champions called A Flare for the Gold. Ric Flair at this point, 1993, fresh off of his run in WWE, is back in WCW. He looks good. He feels good. And this talk show is designed to help promote the upcoming War Games match. So in this War Games match, one of the big questions that was out there was who would become the tag team partner for Sting and Davey Boy Smith as they're going into war games against Harlem Heat and Sid Vicious. Well, who would be the one? Who would be the partner? And there was a lot of argument. There was a lot of conjecture. There was a lot of lead up to this. And WCW certainly wanted to create a moment. And boy, did they ever. Because Davy Boy Smith and Sting would announce that their partner to take on and shock the world would be the Shockmaster. The Shockmaster proceeds as there is an explosion. He's supposed to walk through this wall, have this towering voice that's computerized, and scare everybody. Well, as he walks through the wall, he trips over the wall. He trips over the wall. His headpiece comes off. Yeah, then he gets up, and he's not exactly talking when he's supposed to it's just a laughable moment that has become one of the most infamous moments in WCW history. Now, in case you wondered who the Shockmaster happened to be, Shockmaster is the artist formerly known as Tugboat in WWE. Tugboat was a partner for a long time of Hulk Hogan. Then Tugboat would leave Hulk Hogan and be repackaged into Typhoon. Typhoon would be a tag team partner of the Earthquake. Together, they would be known as the Natural Disasters, managed by Jimmy Hart. They would ultimately go on to become world tag team champions. And so at this point, the artist formerly known as Tugboat and Typhoon was becoming the Shockmaster, but wasn't having the most intimidating presence in WCW. We saw the premiere of the Shockmaster. The debut, the infamous debut of the Shockmaster, strangely enough, 30 years ago today, is part of Clash of the Champions 24. So we intentionally wanted to take some time to go back in time, talk about Clash of the Champions, all of which, all 35 presentations of Clash of the Champions are available right now on the WWE Network on Peacock, so you can go and check them out. And if you indeed want to watch this moment with the Shockmaster, in context, as it happened, look for Clash of the Champions 24. Pretty crazy. So here's what I want to do. I want to open this up to you guys and give you the option to tell us what historic topics you'd like for us to talk about. They could be elements that you may have never heard of before, 
or they could be things that you heard of, but you want kind of the full story on. They might be an urban legend to you. Whatever it is, let us know. You can DM us. You can hit us in the comment space. You can drop us a voice note. Whatever works, we want to hear from you so that we can continue to give you the kind of content that you'd be intrigued to hear about, okay? So today's conversation was all about Clash of the Champions. So now that you understand Clash of the Champions, you also understand why many have likened it to Battle of the Belts, which AEW presented in 2022. Ironically, Battle for the Belts airs on TNT when Clash of the Champions aired on TBS. And the similarities in terms of how these elements are put together, yeah, it's pretty interesting because, again, it looks and feels like the days of WCW for those who may have experienced it. If not, you understand now why we compare Battle of the Belts to Clash of the Champions. All right, guys, let me know if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. We absolutely love bringing these kinds of shows to you, and we'll continue to do more of that. In case you're wondering, this is a pretty big weekend. You've got Multiverse United 2 as Impact and New Japan are coming together for a joint pay-per-view that's happening this weekend. Also, you've got SmackDown Rampage Collision as we are getting ready to go into All In Week. Next week are the go-home shows before All In, so things should get very, very interesting. All right, family, until next time, representing for my good brothers, Courtney Beard, Brandon Clack, and the fourth horseman, John Murray, who, by the way, if you haven't heard, he was a feature in an incredible article on him on Forbes.com. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal. So shout out to our good brother, John Murray, who is killing it as the executive producer of Sherry. All right, with that said, we'll get out of here until next time. My name is Gerard Bonner, and this is The Faction. Salad, my people.